Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. It's a process of continually pulling away from what we know to be right and allowing our conscience then to be seared or to be hardened over, no longer being that personal check to our actions and our attitudes. See, our conscience works together with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit literally pricks our conscience when we begin the wrong direction when we begin the wrong thoughts or the attitudes or actions. The Holy Spirit pricks our conscience and says, man, that's not the way. This is the way. Walk you in it. I don't want to walk that way right now. And the more often we do that, the more hard cover comes on our conscience. Perhaps one of the most dangerous misconceptions we can have regarding backsliding is that it's an immediate process. However, just as our sanctification and growth in Christ is a slow and steady process, so too is our regression and turning away. In today's message, Pastor David warns us about the dangers of hardening our hearts, which happens slowly over time. In our study, we learn the importance of adhering to the guidance of God's Spirit in our lives, lest we stumble and turn from the truth. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, Shipwrecked. supposed to be a time of extra prayer. It's supposed to be a time of increased charity and, and generosity. It's supposed to be a time of intense study of the Quran. And there are many within Islam that, man, they focus down on that. And that's exactly what this month is about. Problem is, their devotion and their commitment is toward a wrong focus. They do not know the one true God They do not know his son, Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of their deep spiritual discipline, they're missing the one true hope of salvation. They're missing Jesus Christ. Beloved, our faith as believers, that is the bulwark of our life. That's the foundation. That's the strength of our lives. And if it's misdirected, if it isn't focused, if it isn't active, You and I, we cannot and we will not do well in obedience to what the Lord has presented to us and what the Lord is leading us to through his son. If we're not well-focused, if our Christianity is just kind of hanging out here someplace and we draw it in on the weekends or we draw it in when certain issues come into life, if it's not a focus of our life, I guarantee you we're not going to do well in our Christian walk. Paul tells Timothy, not only in having faith, but you need to have a good conscience, Timothy. And Paul joins these two characteristics. Again, both of them need to be there to fight the fight of our Christian faith and to be able to win the battle that that we're all in. Whereas our faith deals directly with our commitment to Jesus Christ, 
our belief in the faithfulness of God and our belief in the power of his word. That's where our faith is focused and directed. When he speaks of a good conscience, this comes from being found faithful and being found obedient. I can go to sleep at night with a good conscience knowing that the day prior to that, I have sought to find the Lord. I have sought to serve the Lord. I had sought to honor the Lord. But if that's not true in my life, then I can't go to bed in the evening with a good conscience because, again, I know that, man, I really was off track there. Man, I really drug myself through the pits over there. And, man, God was nowhere in my mind or my focus during that portion of my day. I can't go to sleep with a good conscience, if that's been my day. Our religion and our morality, our faith and our walk cannot be separated. Cannot be separated. Let me give that to you again. Our religion and our morality, our faith and our walk cannot be separated. Otherwise, you and I are destined for shipwreck. We can't faithfully declare one thing and and live another without it doing severe damage in our spiritual lives. It it does damage to the testimony of our faith and the world around us, our, our family, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers. They know, man, she says one thing, but she lives another. He, he says, declares one thing. That's not how he acts at work. Warren Wiersbe tells us that someone has defined conscience as that inner voice that warns us that somebody may be looking. But, but he goes on to say, but a man with a good conscience will do the will of God in spite of who is watching or what people might say. You just do the right thing, regardless of where we're at. When we reject our faith, when, when, when our life no longer allows for a, a good or a clear conscience, we've already gotten to that point. Long ago, we, we passed all the warning signs of the Holy Spirit's wooing, the, the warning signs of the Word of God, the warning signs of the, the preached Word, the, the warning signs of the testimonies of brothers. We've already gone past all of those warning signs. Once our conscience is, has become seared, once we got to that point, again, we, we're, we're not really walking in the fullness of our faith. We've already passed all the warning signs. And beloved, it, it's not a condition that you just suddenly wake up some morning and you say, no, I think I'm going to just go anywhere, go where, and just reject. No, this is a process. It's a process of continually pulling away from what we know to be right and allowing our conscience then to be seared or to be hardened over, no longer being that personal check to our actions and our attitudes. See, our conscience works together with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit literally pricks our conscience when we begin the wrong direction, when we begin the wrong thoughts or the attitudes or actions. The Holy Spirit pricks our conscience and says, man, that's not the way. This is the way. Walk you in it. I don't want to walk that way right now. And the more often we do that, the more hard cover comes on our conscience. The early warnings were for rough seas, but they continued to try and sail. 
The warning went out of impending severe storms, yet they drove further into the wind. And once the full strength of the storm hit, they were left helpless without any ability to turn. It was 2.30 in the afternoon on November 9th, 1975, when the shift left port in the midst of a brewing early winter storm moving into the Great Lakes area. Captain Ernest M. McSorley was familiar with the storms that would often hit Lake Superior during this time of year, but he was determined to make a go of it with the 26,000 tons of iron ore pellets on his ship. The weather conditions worsened with gale warnings issued now by 7 p.m. Throughout the night, as they pushed into the ever-increasing darkness, the storm grew more severe. In the early morning hours before dawn, the winds were now reaching 50 knots, or about 60 miles per hour, with waves reaching 12 to 16 feet. The storm showed no sign of lessening. Still, Captain McSorley pushed forward. With the storm winds and the waves taking their toll, his ship passed far too close to what was called the Six Fathom Shoal, just north of Caribou Island. This was a submerged bar of, of a, a volcanic ridge, and it had been known to be as shallow as 21 feet below the surface at times. And with the rising and the lowering of the waves, the captain had allowed his ship to be in great peril as he went through that area. Snow and the spray of the seawater was now covering the ship's vision, both in seeing the dangers that lay ahead as well as being seen by others. At 3.30 p.m., now November 10th, McSorley was able to radio another ship giving a partial damage report. By 5.30 that evening, the winds had now reached steady at 58 knots, 67 miles per hour, steady winds with gusts up to 80 miles an hour and seas rising from 18 to 25 feet waves. There was no possibility of turning back at this point, and the ship was helpless against the ravages of the storm. There were no further radio communications. Six months later, during a joint task operation with the U.S. Coast Guard and the U.S. Navy, on May 20th, 1976, a videotape of a deepwater camera revealed the words, Edmund Fitzgerald, clearly on the stern of the ship, sitting upside down in 535 feet of water at the bottom of Lake Superior. Severe damage caused by the volcanic ridge at Six Fathom Shoal, as well as the intake of water caused by those massive, those continual waves, the Edmund Fitzgerald lost buoyancy, diving to the bottom quickly without even an opportunity to give a signal cry for help. Twenty-nine souls, including Captain Ernest M. McSorley, were ushered into eternity that day. Paul tells Timothy, some have rejected their faith. They've rejected a good conscience. And concerning their faith, they've suffered a shipwreck of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that, that they may learn not to blaspheme. These of whom were Hymenaeus and Alexander, as well as others. They, they ignored the signs. 
They, they continued on, even as the journey became more and more treacherous, even as they saw these signs coming at them. Don't go, don't continue this way in your walk or in your life. And so Hymenaeus and Alexander, along with others, they suffered shipwreck. We find these same names, other, other places, just a couple of other places in the New Testament. We don't know a whole lot about them, but their names are listed a couple of other times in Paul's writings. There's no real way of knowing for certain that the other names are these same guys, but it certainly plays into the same idea of what's going on in their lives here. Hymenaeus could be, possibly is, the same one that, that Paul writes about actually in the second letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy again, he says, You need to shun profane and idle babblings, for they'll increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. You need to understand Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. These These are the kind of things they're doing. They've strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrew the faith of some. So you see, not only did they go, but they brought others with them. The very fact that in both cases, both in 1 Timothy as well as in 2 Timothy, Hymenaeus had rejected the faith or he strayed concerning the faith or the truth makes me believe that they're probably the same person. Similarly, there was Alexander. There was an Alexander spoken of in 2 Timothy. Alexander the coppersmith. Could they have been the same person? Uh, Paul mentions him both in 1 Timothy as well as in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Alexander, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also, Timothy, you need to be aware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. Now, there was another Alexander that we read about in the book of Acts, Alexander, in the city of Ephesus. But he was for certain a Jew, Now, and the Jews knew him, and rather he was converted to Christianity and became a part of the church in Ephesus. Again, these are things that we don't really know for sure. But we do know that the Alexander that is spoken of in Timothy, and the Hymenaeus that was spoken of in Timothy, in both First and Second Timothy, for both of them, both of these had seemed to have walked away from the faith. They were at least considered believers at one point in time. What happens when a believer walks away from the faith? What happens when a, when a, when a believer be, begins doing damage to the body of Christ because of not only his lifestyle, but the message that he's bringing, the words that he's speaking? Paul says, I handed them over to Satan. He says, I handed them over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. Well, we find that Paul uses a very similar phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 5. Remember that man that was living in incest with his father's wife, and Paul says, you're, you're letting that guy still stay in the church? That, that's crazy. He, he tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, he says, you need to deliver that one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But then he also adds that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. It's a difficult thing. You, 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 you look at someone 
who is supposed to be a believer, and rather they're caught up in a gross sexual sin, or rather they're caught up in the division of the body of Christ and in teaching of false doctrines and rejecting their own faith. And, and you look at that and you think, well, truly they can't be a believer. They, 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 there must have been a false confession. But it's interesting, Paul doesn't say that. But he does say, I deliver that one up to Satan. So what in the world does that mean? I don't believe that Paul here is condemning these men to hell. Hey, I reject them, man. May they they just end up in hell for all eternity. That's not what he's saying here. But I do feel that he's calling for Timothy to remove these men from the fellowship of the church with the understanding that they would find no other port of safety. There's no other area. The, The covering that the church offers would no longer be theirs. And removing them from the fellowship of the church, there'd be this sense of a removal of the the blessings and the covering of God in their lives. They'd be removed from the realm of God's blessing, which is the church. And they're now placed into the realm of of Satan's malice, of Satan's control, of, of Satan's attacks. Literally, you need to abandon that one and let Satan have his way with them. Rather, that's the man from... 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or rather that's Hymenaeus and Alexander or the host of others that were following along with him. Beloved, you, you need to understand that there is actually a spiritual covering when you and I come together as the body of Christ. That's why we're not called to be long-ranger Christians. And it, it, it always, con- you know, I, I'm amazed by the amount of people that I talk to that say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. Really, where, where do you fellowship? I asked ignorantly. Oh, I, I don't go to church. I haven't really found a church that we really like. Really? What's the common denominator then? In all these churches that you go to that you're not comfortable with, gee, it must be you. You say that kind of gently, you know, to them, but uh, we need to understand. There, there's no perfect church, by the way, folks. This church was perfect before we started it. And after, after that, you know, it went downhill since then. I know the pastor that you have. And we're all a part of this. We're not perfect. We're, we're all struggling saints. But together, as the body of Christ, I believe that there is that spiritual covering that comes that doesn't come for a believer outside of the church. Warren Wiersbe again, he says, each local church is in a constant battle against the forces of evil. There are false prophets and false teachers as well as false Christs. Satan is the originator of false doctrines for he is a liar from the beginning. It's not enough for the local church to teach sound doctrine and to proclaim the gospel. The church must also defend the faith by exposing lies and opposing the doctrines of demons. So here Paul is telling Timothy, these ones that have rejected their faith, you got the church needs to take a hard stand. But I believe wholeheartedly that that hard stand that the church takes against those that have found themselves away from the faith or or, or in danger to the church, I believe that that hard stand that we take and what Paul is determined to do 
is that the desired outcome would be restitution. That there would be, again, restoration, not restitution, restoration. That that one or those individuals would be restored back into fellowship once they have repented. Their their separation would need to be a time of examination on on that offending party. There there needed to be a time of repentance. There needed to be a time then of restoration. And we find with that one that was in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually urges the church, hey, you need to bring that brother back into the fellowship now. Otherwise, he's just going to get so discouraged. Man, he, he just won't have any hope. So the separation had apparently done his work, that there was repentance, and uh, so now it was time to bring him back in and restored. Now, some, when they reject the faith or they walk away from sound doctrine, they do damage not only to themselves and perhaps those that are closest to them, but also in the midst of the shipwreck of their own faith and of their own commitment, they seem to drag others down with them and they cause great damage to the church. Captain McSorley was determined to push the Edmund Fitzgerald to its final port, to bring the delivery where it needed to be. And yet he finally got to a point in that journey that he could find no safe port. And because of his decisions, 28 other souls were ushered into eternity. The unfortunate thing in, in our society today, even if we as a church need to exercise church discipline upon somebody, uh, again, forcing them to, to leave the church, well, in our society today, no problem. There's 50 more just down the street. And they just go and just join another church. And so the discipline doesn't quite work the same. Particularly if that person has gone ahead, they've gone away from any sound doctrine in their life, then it it really wouldn't matter where they went and what teacher that they sat under. They, they, They could go anywhere. They're there for some other reason than sincere faith. We as a church, we need to stand for truth. We need to live for the truth. We need to grow in the truth. We need to hold fast to our profession of faith. And as the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Did Hymenaeus and Alexander lose their salvation? Actually, it's kind of a twofold question. Number one, were they saved to begin with? Number two, if they were, did they lose their salvation? When I look and I pull together both 1 Corinthians 5 and what Paul even says here, I've delivered them to Satan not for their destruction. What does he say there, church? That they might learn. That they might learn. Open our hearts. Change our- 
The book of 1 Timothy opens our eyes to the value God places on leadership. The Apostle Paul shares what we should be looking for in the church we attend and in those who lead. We too can learn from these teachings and apply them in areas where we're in leadership. We hope you've learned something valuable from today's message on the open word. We'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, to find a local church that you can call home. Being a part of a faith community is essential for growing in your relationship with Jesus and offers you a place to share your unique gifts. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with a special invitation. I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com. Then follow the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. You'll also be able to get more information by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.